Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. TF3, you're gonna love it. It's football. Chris, welcome. Good afternoon. Good evening. Good night. Good morning. And that other voice is Nick Morales. Nick. Lawrence, how are you? Very good, thank you. Um, now we've got a lot to talk about for the international break. Uh, we will talk about domestic football very, very soon. Uh, but first of all, it's England. It's Defoe. It's Vardy. Um, it's exciting, isn't it, Nick? Yeah, I guess it is. In, in some cases, I mean, the inclusion of, of uh, Jermaine Defoe is an interesting one to, into a squad that he'll be 36 when the when the World Cup rolls around. So it's an interesting inclusion and, and one that sort of makes you question the, the decision as to where the squad is going. But What, what yeah, do you think the logic one. is behind including uh, 35-year-old Jermaine Defoe? Um, I think uh, as many uh, as many people will claim, it's it's all about that experience and bringing someone like Jermaine Defoe into the squad. But I think it's it might send a message that you know, as long as you're doing well and as long as you have a possibility of fitting into the idea that Gareth Southgate wants to put out onto the pitch, that you have a chance in getting into the squad. Uh, but did it work? For now, it does, as opposed to... I think you're honestly better served bringing in younger talent and making space for, for younger players and, and and players of the such, as opposed to wasting your time with a player that's going to be way too old and who knows what form he'll be in when the, when the tournament rolls around, considering that Sunderland are pretty much guaranteed to go down this season. I mean, even if he does move on to a different team, it's going to be different, difficult for him to adjust considering his age. And, and other factors so it, it's an interesting decision and even if it works out now it's it's uh it's it's a weird decision in my opinion it's a little bit i mean it's a hard one to look at really isn't it because when you look at what gareth southgate seems to be doing seems to be moving the england squad in at least a, a positive direction right yeah certainly and i think those the tactics that he played against germany certainly reflect that we we see a a, a departure from the 4-4-2 and uh, a more advanced tactical concept, and and players like Jake Livermore and and, and Keane getting a getting a look in into a more modern tactical system is is something that at this while it you know makes room for the future. The inclusion of someone like Defoe is extremely weird. So it's it's almost like they're pulling in opposite directions. 
Mm, it is unusual, Chris. Um, obviously, you've been watching Sunderland a lot more than a lot of other people. It's have. a consequence of the fact that it's a consequence of the fact that England isn't producing that many top strikers, though, as well. I talked to Paul McGuinness about this when I spoke to him about Rashford, and he said that, in, in his opinion, it isn't an issue for England at this precise moment that they're not uh, producing that that top level forward that maybe say you had in '96, where it was the likes of Ferdinand, Sheringham, and Shearer, all. I would say in the top tier at least domestically if not within Europe and then you had a, a decent sort of sample to pick from so at the minute you're maybe looking at someone that doesn't have the kind of pedigree of that player who's come through an academy and been in the Premier League their entire career you are going to have to look a little bit more left field so I, I don't think in, in that situation Jamie Vardy is, is so much of an outlier I think he actually starts to become a little bit of the rule where you'll see the likes of Andre Gray, maybe even a, a Scott Hogan, if if he can get Villa promoted, come into the national team setup and, and start to produce. Mm. Um, within that as well, obviously, Jermaine Defoe is a great experienced player. Um, I mean, he can bring the experience of, um, you know, scoring goals uh, from difficult situations, difficult paths, those sort of things. And I think he probably brings some experience to the squad, which may be, England are lacking right now and the good thing for Defoe is he's not necessarily part of that generation which is tainted right yeah I, I would agree with that I mean look this is the thing I think he himself is is aging to the point where I would say this is his peak um, Ooh, there was a strongly held belief that earlier in his career he took a lot of shots he was quite inconsistent maybe he was more of a, a scorer of great goals than a great goal scorer Whereas now, I think with, with the refinement of age, he knows where he's supposed to be. He knows, I think, the game a lot better than he did, say, 10 years ago even. That's the, the thing you have to look at is some strikers, and I think even you could extrapolate this out into every position on the field, players mature at different ages and, and reach the peak of their powers at different ages. Yes, there's, there's strong theories on... 27-28 is when a player hits hits their peak performance and I think there's some truth to that I think there will always be as I talk about those outliers players that, that don't conform to that the likes of say Didier Drogba who didn't come to, to prominence at the top level until fairly later in his career even someone like Teddy Sheringham who we referenced there before was still playing at a, a very high level until the age of 42 because his game wasn't based on being able to burst past people. It was much more of a mental game that the first five yards were in his head. And I think if England can can build a system that caters to that kind of forward, yes, then they can start to rely on Defoe for the longer term. But the problem he's had is that whenever he's been used, it's tended to be as a lone striker with balls being pumped up to him. That really isn't going to do a great amount of stuff for, for him because he's not built to play that way. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because obviously that then complements other strikers who can think in the box. It also seems as if the more savvy players are thriving under... Um, well, at least the more stimulated uh, players seem to be thriving under Gareth Southgate. Um, it's, I don't know. It, it, the, the, this, there is something likeable, Chris, about this England squad, and I can't quite put my finger on it. There is. I, I think I think what it is, and, and Nick... Nico touched on it a little bit. It's the the embrace of new ideas, I think, is what it is. Um, it doesn't seem as if perhaps there are a multitude of, of egos involved. I think maybe some of the pathways these players have taken, guys like Adam Alana, Vardy that we touched on, 
there's a little bit more humility in, in starting in League One and starting in non-league football and then working to this point. It, it I think it makes them not just more likeable, but also, I think, uh, more relatable as well. And and that's perhaps been the problem is that you go back to, to, let's say, the Gary Neville era and that idea of them chairing a meeting because they didn't agree with things that were going on. That's when I think, rightly or wrongly, I, I can't claim to, to know one way or the other at this point, that's when I think players can start to look a little bit deaverish and as if there's ego invested there more than the pure pride of, of representing your country. Because I imagine when Vardy was at Stocksbridge and, and when uh, Lallana, to use examples, were, were starting in League One, playing for England very much was a dream. It was never an expectation. And I think that in turn makes makes everything seem a little bit more relatable to the average fan. Absolutely. I mean, uh, yeah, there, there is that element for England. Maybe maybe it's just also the great midfield. Um, I mean, yeah, we'll see. I think I, I'm quite enjoying England's midfield shape at the moment, Nick. I don't know about you, but Lalana does seem to be thriving, as does Deli Alley. Um, and, you know, they've not even got Henderson sitting at the, at the base of that. Yeah, I mean, it does look good. It looks youthful to a certain extent with the inclusion of Deli Alley in there. And also uh, one that could thrive in, in, in tournaments because tournaments tend to pander towards teams that don't take the onus to create. And with a pressing midfield with the likes of Deli Alley and Adam Milana in there, like you mentioned, that could be an excellent team that catches that catches teams that take the onus to create um, in, in the latter stages of the competition. So who knows? Maybe we'll see some some tournament development from from England in uh, in the near future. I guess it's also sort of worth saying that there's a lot of diverse squads out there that have won uh, tournaments. Not all about youth. And whilst it is good to develop youth, you know, it's good to have that balance out as well. Um, there's some good things elsewhere uh but bad things as as well uh, chris i mean in the republic of ireland game against wales there was a massive headline in there and since a lot of journalists have been on the spectrum of hysterical um at times whilst trying to pretend to be the reasonable voice yeah lots of lots of discussion about not that type of player and, and essentially players motives and intent and whether malice is involved in there I, th- I think what you can do is isolate the situation and say it was a really reckless tackle. And it wasn't the only one. There was another one from Gareth Bale on John O'Shea that, that was a little bit um, wince-inducing. I think part of the issue here is the referee was incredibly lax during that game. He let a lot of things fly. And I think the difficulty in that situation presents itself because if you're not setting a standard, then... I think inevitably players are going to start to push that because there's a lot involved here. There's not just, I would say, pride amongst the home nations and, and the Republic of Ireland, but also I think there's there's an, an element of we need to qualify for this competition and, and winning this game puts us closer to that. And I think when you're playing in a game like Republic of Ireland v Wales, you would argue a lot of the players are coming from the same domestic leagues where things are fast, it's quite open, it's quite aggressive, and all of that put together, for me, builds up to a cocktail of that kind of situation occurring. I, I can't claim to know if, if Taylor has a strong background of this, whether he actually did mean it or not. He's Only he's going to know whether he went in there with anything other than an intent to win the ball. I think we have to maybe look at protecting players a little bit more in those kind of situations. And while I am loath to, to criticise referees because of the complicated nature of their jobs, it, it does, I think 
a slither of responsibility fall onto the referee for, for not setting a better standard in terms of control. Well, Gareth Bale could have gone off for a similar challenge. Well, not a similar challenge, but a, a pretty dangerous challenge just moments before as well. Yeah, exactly. That would that was you know I, I mentioned that there as as well as being another instance of a dangerous tackle. So it's it's about it's it's such a fine balancing act as well. And and you know we've seen commentators down the years discuss this: the idea of setting a standard or <clears throat> excuse me, potentially making your job more difficult by giving out an early yellow card. Because what you're striving for across the ninety minutes is consistency of decision, and fans, players, etc can become very irritated when they see an identical situation not receive the same punishment that maybe they or their team have been punished for. And again, that's that's where really a referee has to, and I think it's an incredibly difficult aspect of the job, one of many difficult aspects, approach it from quite a macro perspective and say, okay, well, if I'm judging this to be yellow card worthy, I have to accept that every decision like this moving forward within reason, will be yellow card worthy as well. Do you think there is a bit of an issue in that um, <clears throat> it's, it, sometimes it's, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, it, it's very easy to say, well, of course, you know, um, of course the referee should make this decision or, you know, of course he shouldn't have let it get to that point. But it has that broken leg and not happened. We might just be saying, well, there were some tasty tackles there, lol, lol, lol. Don't think I don't think we would be. I think certainly that there's a case to be made that a section of the the audience would have looked at it that way. But I think that's where instances like this have to be used as learning opportunities and not purely a situation to scold those involved. Because really, it's it's far too easy to just appropriate blame. I think you do have to try and take lessons from it. And the lesson is that as competitive as these games are, you have to be conscious of of whether. Even if a, a tackle, for argument's sake, misses by an inch, a foot, whatever, that with a few more stars aligning, it could end up in the same way that, that Seamus Coleman's unfortunate tackle did with with him breaking his leg. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I mean, it's sad, but it is uh, what it is. Elsewhere, Nico, what's going on with Spain? Uh, finally, moving on, it seems from that golden generation. Yeah, certainly. If I can just say one thing about that. The, the challenge on, on Coleman though. I'm sorry, I think you're I, not British. You wouldn't know. <laughs> um, and, and Nipun has mentioned this on my podcast as well, is that I think we need to get away from this idea of intent on a challenge, which, which is that like, you know, these, these players are flying in. If we sort of set the standard that they shouldn't be, uh, the, the game, uh, how it moves so quick in, in the modern age and, and all these things, like we need to, to create a different sort of standard for the type of challenges that players should be going in for in the first place because the primary objective is, is player safety, right? I mean, yeah, well, uh, yes. Uh, but at the same time, it, it sort of isn't safety a subjective thing. No, not really, because if you're if you if if challenges like that and and specifically head challenge or, or challenges that deal with the head and and things like the likes of uh, the the challenge that saw Fernando Torres get knocked out, you know, a lot of people say come away from that challenge and say completely accidental, nothing you could do about that. But the reality of the situation is that that player was coming in in a dangerous situation. While they may have completely intended to play the ball, see, I don't, I don't, we, I don't think that is dangerous. I just think it's really unfortunate that Fernando Torres got hit in just the place which knocked him out. I, I don't, I didn't, I didn't agree with that. I thought it was a, I didn't think. 
it was a dangerous way to tackle someone. And it, it think, sort of yeah, makes I me think, well, what, what are you supposed to, do, you know, does that, what are you supposed to do with a long ball game then? Like, you know, uh, you, you can't play the long ball game because you're going to have your striker sent off. Well, no, I disagree because I think you, two people can go up for a header without taking a five-yard run-up and getting up to full speed and then running into somebody else. Yeah, but we both know that's not the... I mean, that is, that's changing the game on a really fundamental level. Well, we'll, we'll agree to disagree on that one and then get on to... But that's what I'm wondering. Um, what I'm, do you mean? I'm just, I'm just wondering, I'm, I'm wondering how that does fundamentally change the game. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm saying, I'm putting this point to you, you know, if mm-hmm. that does fundamentally change the way that you can hit a long ball up, if Joe Hart is a certain way or someone is a certain way, then what happens? I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. Maybe the fundamentals of the game do need to be changed because we do need to deal with head injuries in a different way because we've seen players in the past suffer long-term effects from them continuing to play through a concussion. How many other players have we seen knocked out in the way that Fernando Torres was knocked out? Not that many, but if we can avoid that situation altogether, is that the worst thing in the world? Mm, okay. Uh, I mean, I don't, this is what I'm wondering is what, but what is, I mean, Chris, with the Fernando Torres, you remember when Fernando Torres got knocked out? I mean, I'm, I'm sort of with Nipun on this one. I'm questioning how you sort of implement a rule for safety with players which will end up very fundamentally <clears throat> changing the way that the game works. If Kristen's even still there. I, I, th- I think I think Nipun and Nico make some, some fair points. <sighs> The difficulty is, is you're you're potentially going to come up against players who make a living off those kind of tackles, not dangerous tackles per se, but more risky tackles. Um, and I think one of the appeals of football is the contact nature of it and the fact that you can um, go to ground for a tackle. There are certainly instances where I think that yes, the notion of removing intent is important because it can almost mitigate a tackle when it shouldn't. Um, but I do also think there are unfortunate instances where a player is, again, is, is not intending to cause injury. I remember many years ago, Nani got sent off for, for Man United against Real Madrid. I don't think his intent was to, to leave six studs on his opponent. It was just a case of that he was watching the ball, not what was around him. And, and that was an accident. So I think accidents can occur. And I'm concerned slightly that by removing intent entirely, you do then open up the the chance to to essentially you know uh, deem a lot of players guilty when they're they're maybe not interesting point um elsewhere uh usa usa guys is looking are we, good are we gonna do spain oh fine yeah let's do spain then okay spain <laughs> go on yeah, no, no, no. Uh, Spain, Spain's moving. Uh, finally, the changing of the guard is coming to uh, to fruition from a golden generation to uh, another great generation. But one thing I'd like to point out is the under-21 squad looking absolutely amazing with the likes of Marco Asensio, uh, Naki Williams, Denis Suarez, Sal Niguez, Yerai, Bellerin. These are all guys that are you know, we're talking about competitively at the at the highest level of football, and they're still in the under-21 squ- uh, squad for the for the Spanish national team. So in terms of uh, prospects, it's absolutely incredible. So uh, definitely looking forward to the future for the Spanish national team. I like that. Uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about the progress as well of the uh, U.S. men's national team? Sorry, you cut off there. Tell me about the progress as well of the U.S. men's national team. 
Yeah, I think uh, if if there's one thing I'd like to highlight in terms of uh, the United States being an American myself, I think um, there's a there's a big distinction that we need to make for the likes of Christian Pulisic, which to many, and and, and this is my opinion as well, is that he's you know the most talented American that we're going to see for a while, and he certainly is right now. And I think there's a large portion of Americans that aren't day-to-day soccer or football fans. And so when the international break comes around and they become extraordinarily passionate about the U.S. men's national team, as they should, then there's all this hope and there's all this hype and there's all this expectation lumped upon a young kid to make a, a huge impression. If he doesn't do that or if in their eyes he doesn't do that, you know, we're dealing with a situation that I think is common in your soccer or football culture, which is to hype up these young individuals and make their lives essentially miserable if they don't exceed the expectations that they've been given by the, by the demanding public. Interesting. Uh, I mean, Chris, what do you see with Pulisic? I mean, it's been a good, um, it's been, it's been an improvement uh, for the USA from what they considered a low with Klinsmann. It has. I, th- I think they had a, uh, a lot of positive factors go into that victory. The fact that a lot of the players knew what they were doing. The defence was there to defend. The attack was there to create. I, th- I think as simple as that sounds, it made a massive difference because it gave everyone confidence. There was there was no uncertainty in individuals, which meant collectively there was a lot more confidence across the board. I, I think, you know, it's, it's interesting how you dissect this game from a, from a standpoint of, of Pulisic because before the game, people were, were talking about him and Landon Donovan and the fact that if he wanted to, to match Donovan, he needed to come up big in these games because these are the crunch games. The thing I think really helped him just from a, a playing perspective was Honduras in, in relation to CONCACAF are not the greatest team. And I think a lot of people, after that first five, ten minutes when they went up early on, realised that the US were going to dominate the ball and they were going to really have a bit of a free run and attack on that defence. And so what that meant for Pulisic was, whenever he made a mistake, chances are he was going to get the ball within two, three minutes and get another go at it. Now, where I think he deserves credit is that he always wanted the ball. There was a few things that maybe didn't go his way and a few times where he lost the ball. And I think it would have been very easy for him to climb inside himself and and very much sort of get on his own back. But the fact that, again, he wanted the ball, he wanted to keep trying to do things and try and create things, that's a positive sign in terms of his future projections because it's just he's got the shoulders and the mentality to, to achieve that top level. But I also think the important caveat with that is the game was very much set up so that the likes of him, the likes of Dempsey, Leger until he went off, could attack. It, it, at times, to me at least, felt a little bit like attack free defence training session. And I think put him in a, a game against someone where maybe the, the standards are, are a little bit closer, then I would like to see how he handles losing the ball two or three times in a row. Does he still kind of want it? Does he still try the things that I think are getting US fans so excited? Or does he maybe play with a little bit more caution and just start to keep the ball a bit more? It's an interesting debate, isn't it, over in American football, uh, or football in America, or American soccer. Works well. Uh, Now, what about the country where he's playing his trade, Nico? Germany. Uh, Some people saying that they look more vulnerable than they did uh, before, under a system which seemed to peak uh, just maybe at the World Cup and then sort of continue to to live off uh, maybe a reputation for a little longer. 
Yeah, I think it can be difficult to make that transition from, you know, World Cup champions and they did all right in the Euros. Um, but sort of fitting in those new players as you see out the old ones can obviously be a difficult transition. But when I was watching England uh, versus Germany, although it was a friendly and and basically Lucas Podolski shot the ball every time he got it, there was still uh, England did very well in the first half. They didn't let uh, a shot on target come through. And so th- th- as many times as, as, as Germany looked good in attack, they looked vulnerable in defense in the sense that Mats Hummels, if, if you've seen how they've exploited him before, Borussia Dortmund pulling him out wide, that three, four, three, three, four, three system that Germany played in the game uh, that they'll probably continue to use going forward, considering the, the, uh, the shift in tactics towards that system is one that maybe doesn't suit the, the German defenders. And, you know, bringing in that new generation, that Julian Brandt, that Timo Werner can be somewhat difficult because you do have to change your tactics a little bit in, in bringing in those players because Timo Werner had an awful game. And that's not because he's a bad player, but because he plays in a different system at Leipzig. Tell me a little bit about what, what you think. I, I mean, because the, the problem is a lot of people sort of hold up the, uh, basically hold up the model of whatever a player is playing at their club as the ideal model to play them in, because that's obviously the model that got them into the national team, right? But there are probably other ways to get the best out of that player. Yeah, certainly. But I think the traditional way in which Germany want to play and have played the past few tournaments, which is, you know, a little bit of possession football as well as some some good uh, counterattacking styles is probably not the best way to do that. It's more sitting off the ball and being uh, a pressing team, something that has been consistent with the, the, the type of system that uh, Timo Werner and, and his compatriots have have frequented in their in their home clubs. So what's the what's the goal here? I think the goal for uh, for his name is escaping me. The the manager of the uh, German national yeah. team is to transition Yogi uh, Mlow um, is to transition the system to to one that fits the players that are going to make the impact. So perhaps transitioning to a better pressing system and not being so reliant on the on the likes of Tony Cruz and and those players that have brought him success in the past is uh, is key to bringing the the new generation of Germans forward into the into the World Cup. Okay, fair enough. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Holland, Chris, because there's some pretty. How can I put it? It's not. It's not great. It's really not. Um, Danny Blind has has been sacked as as head coach. Um, he opted to stop Matthias De, De Ligt, seventeen uh, year old uh, Ajax centre back, which you know we we talk about Pulisic is interesting. I've I've seen a little bit of De Ligt this season. He is very talented, and I think there will come a day where he is a regular member of the Dutch national team. I don't think this was the point for him to make his debut because he's made, I think, no more than two starts or two appearances in in the league this season for Ajax. So it was a bizarre one, and I think, look, there's issues outside of of Blind. I don't think he is the the be-all and end-all. I think it's far too easy to scapegoat him like that. I think you can look at the fact that there's really not a wealth of, of talented young Dutch coaches at the minute um, you know Philip Koku maybe looked good a year or two ago um, there's there's really not I would say anyone outside of, of him that's that's pushing themselves forward and equally look they, they are also still relying on the likes of Wesley Schneider who is is well into his 30s so it's a, it's a shame because again we look at Holland uh, across history as being real pioneers for the sport and 
Cruyff, Rinus Michaels, you can you can very much reel off the key influences in football and and how they shape not just Dutch football but you know the entire game globally. I, I think, as with any point though, you you will have a peak, you will also have a valley. It's how they respond to this now is the most important thing because it increasingly looks like they'll miss out on the World Cup. They also obviously missed out on um, the Euros in 2016. And I don't think, you know, that there isn't, I don't think um, they are bereft of talent. You look at guys like maybe Justin Cliver, who could come in, who who is perhaps in a better position than Delic because first and foremost, he's a winger. So I would say it's easy to incorporate a winger into your side than a centre-back as it stands. And also players like Depay and Vinaldum, these are the guys that need to be stepping up. I think the question is perhaps is, is whether they have the, the character and the mentality to do so. Yeah, um, uh, it's part of the, the problem almost seems to be part of the Dutch mentality is that there's almost an assumed mentality which, if that's not, if that's not conformed to or that's broken in some way, then it seems to... One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Crumble the whole system. It's, it's almost as if it's all or nothing for, for Holland. I mean, the, the thing is, as, as long as I've been watching football, there's always been a perception that the Dutch aren't united, which is quite ironic when you consider that they pioneered total football. Um, you look at, and the story that always jumps out to me is, is Schneider at the, the World Cup with um, the third-choice goalkeeper, Pete Valusian, making fun of the fact that he earns 10 times more than him. That, for me, is not what you really want from your national team because you know as, as we've seen with with lesser nations at, at the Euros last summer and then also a little bit in this qualifying the likes of Iceland can achieve a lot when they unite and, and operate with a slightly more holistic uh, approach to their team I, I think it would again though be unfair to simply say that oh it's, it's individualism that's that's killing the Dutch national team at this point, there is a talent issue as well. Undeniably, there is a talent issue. You look at perhaps the the best striker that they've got, Vincent Janssen, isn't getting a kick at Tottenham. Um, there's, I think, uh, a poorly... T- the, the thing is with this, realistically, to be successful at, at international level, you have to hope that the generations overlap fairly seamlessly. You have to hope that as, as the Van Persies and Huntelaars retire, there is someone to fill that void. And I think that's the problem with, with Holland now is they're in a very transitional phase um, as a national team both on the field and off it and the, the the cold hard truth is there's just not those those bodies or those talents to fill in the voids that, that are being left behind 
Elsewhere, there are uh, there's some exciting times for the bodies and the voids of Italy, Nico. Uh, obviously, Buffon plays his 1,000th game. Not not for Italy on its own, but his 1,000th game as a goalkeeper. Um, and uh, there, were, there was much hooting and hollowing over that one. Um, but the, the excitement seems to come for Buffon because it seems like they have a ready-made successor for him, as they also seem to have found a number of positions on the pitch which make them an almost dark horse for the next tournament. Yeah, an almost dark horse, and it depends really where Ventura decides to take the squad. He obviously has talented youngsters in the likes of uh, Lorenzo Insigne and, and Marco Verratti to make the best of. And it's uh, it's within those players that didn't have the ability or uh, couldn't make the impact that they wanted to at Euro 2016 that we see this team you know, going into the future and hopefully making the best of what is almost a, a golden Italian generation. And there are certain figures within that generation which just look fantastic, aren't there? Yeah, like like Donnarumma. I mean, you you can't ask for a better replacement than for for Gianluigi Buffon than than Donnarumma, someone that has excelled from a very young age. And and it's within those players uh, and the combination of of the young players that I mentioned, as long as as well as the experience of someone like a Bonucci, a Chiellini, and those figures that have provided such consistency over the years, both in Italian football and in the national team, that really like you said make italy uh, a solid contender for the next uh, for the next international competition so look out for them in in 2018 elsewhere chris it seems like it's a bit of a weird sort of amalgam of the two for belgium at the moment because they find themselves with that golden generation or at least coming uh, almost coming to the next golden generation that they find themselves in um and then drawing last minute against belgium the the, the thing is for, for belgium the players are very good it's just the coaches that have been in charge that don't seem to to, to be right I mean I, I saw Mark Wilmot described as the, the Belgian Harry Redknapp I don't think that's a, a terribly unfair portrait to, to construct because really he is very heavily influenced by what he can do motivationally rather than here's the plan this is how we're going to do it I would say that Martinez represents uh, a shift from that but I would argue perhaps overcorrecting in so much as he's too far the other way in terms of he's desperate for this very detailed ideology but he doesn't acknowledge the fact that actually it doesn't maybe work with what he's doing he's not for me martinez is not a very pragmatic coach he he has his idea on how he wants football to be played but i don't think he allows for the fact that you don't see international squads and players very often so ideally you need something that either they're playing with week in, week out at their club team, which is what we saw, I think, with Spain um, when they won World Cups and European Championships. The players were, were very um, aware of how to play because they were doing it week in, week out anyway. Or you need something that actually works with the group in, at hand. And I just think his style simply doesn't do that. Uh, which, which sort of begs the question as to why they originally brought him in. Yeah, that's a. I mean, that's a fair point. Again, I, I can't claim to be in the heads of, of the Belgian FA. If I was, I would be a, a better man for it. I imagine. I imagine realistically, though, it, it goes back to what I said about the overcorrection. It's it's the idea that okay, we had someone that was perhaps very motivational and could inspire, but there wasn't a great plan to to carry us through those moments where we had an op, an opponent that was on our level, if not better. 
So they've tried to get someone that they believe can construct a plan that will get them past those better opposition and then in theory be so astute that it, it will also help them in, in the moments where maybe they need to kick up the backside. But with Martinez, do you really get that preparation? Because as we saw as his closing days at Everton, I mean, I think everybody was questioning his tactics. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you, you know, it's it's in the eye of the beholder in many ways because the thing with, with Everton and, and Martinez was his, his ideology was very clear, but it goes back to that lack of pragmatism. He didn't acknowledge for the fact that his defenders weren't elite-level defenders, so they couldn't play out from the back all the time. And that actually mm. operating with the style that he did left them with a distinct lack of coverage. And so he was so focused on we have to play, we have to pass, etc., etc. It didn't account for, hang on, there's going to be periods where we don't have the ball. And how do we protect ourselves or how do we win the ball back? I'm not saying it's the most detailed approach, but I think he maybe, uh, in the interview process or whatever, was able to convey the belief that his approach was detailed. And I think, look, at that point, you know, I can't help you because if, it's if you a think he's the slide right line, PowerPoint. Yeah, I mean, look, that you know, that's part of it. Is is that again? If if he said to them, you know, the players you have are better than the ones I had at Everton, it's it's very easy to be convinced in these things. You know, we've all seen coaches and players get jobs that we didn't think they were deserving for. I, I don't want to throw Martinez under the bus and say that's what this is here. As much as I can certainly see. A scenario where the Belgian FA are convinced by a good interview or a good presentation that he's put together. Uh, yeah, the Premier League's a hard league. We all know that in Europe. Uh, give me the job. <laughs> You've got it. It's fantastic. You managed to navigate Everton to a consistent eighth place. Um, <laughs> And funnily enough, that's where Belgium may end up in the world rankings. Um, weirdly, though, Nico, if you look at the last gasp of winners that Lukaku has afforded both of his sides very recently, most of his recent goals have come very late. Yeah, he's uh, he's consistently saving the day for his various teams. He's an excellent player, and, and he'll continue to do that both at um, international level and club level. But I think, um, you know, what Chris was touching on was that you know, it's it's an interesting decision that the that the Belgian FA have gone in terms of their coaching decisions. And I think there's a there's a there's a possible question that they're wasting their best talent pool ever. I mean, you look at some of the players that they have. Just just the first ones that come to mind: Kevin De Bruyne, Dries Mertens, Jan Vertonghen, um, Aiden Hazard. I mean, these guys are are excellent, excellent players, and you're leaving them in the hands of Roberto Martinez and previous to that, Mark Wilmots. I mean. This is possibly the greatest wasted generation of talent that is is that first comes to mind. Yeah, it's a very good point. Uh, well, is that a little unfair? How is that? How is that unfair? I mean, it's a country with. I mean, historically in recent years, that hasn't been the case. Is sort of building towards something. Feels like that that tap of talent hasn't really turned off. Yeah, but you can certainly make the case that they should have uh, they should have performed a little bit better in in Euro twenty sixteen with the yeah you're right maybe, that they maybe, have. yeah maybe maybe I'm thinking of talent in the wrong way I mean those those players still didn't win anything in that time and they you know it, yeah 
Steven Gerrard, if England win the next World Cup, which they won't, but uh, if they if they did, is not going to look back and sort of go, well, I was part of that violent of players that ultimately <laughs> led to the World Cup. Um, you know, he he wasn't in the twenty three, which is weird, really, because you know you. <laughs> I don't know. Can it, can, could it? Could you make the argument that every generation of players building up to a World Cup should get a at least a mention in that? Every generation of players. Well, I mean, you know, if England won the World Cup, I'm sure that there would be. Well, I suppose most journalist articles do sort of. What do you? What do you? What do you think? Uh, what do you think England's chances truly are 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 of winning the World Cup in 2018? I think I think they're very slim because the system. Um, well. I mean, they're slim to not not great, right? But I mean, the point would be. Um, but what, but why? Because for me, I think if you look at the players individually, you have Kyle Walker and Danny Rose, which is probably one of the best. Yeah, but we, but we, I mean, Nico, come on, we both Europe. know that's not the issue here. I know well, that's not the issue, but, but I mean, isn't the England isn't the England isn't the England idea and and recently more recently the the England squads another case for wasted potential because. You've had fantastic players, and you still have fantastic players. You know, Raheem Sterling, Deli Alli are fantastic players. Jordan Henderson's a really solid player. John Stones is a really good center back. All these players are really good individually, and yet we've consistently seen failure from England. I mean, it's there's not really an argument against that. It's sort of like making an argument for it and against it. You're not really getting... That's almost not the point. Um, we're sort of at a point now where we need to. Um, I'd argue. I feel like our Southgate's probably going in, good, in a good direction. Okay, or at least in the right direction. Right. I mean, I think he's doing the right thing by employing what most of those players in the clubs uh, will be more familiar with than uh, maybe the the conservatism with a small C of what Roy Hodgson was employing. I'll pose this question to you and Chris. Do you think the lack? of uh, diversity within the squad is is something that has held England back for the past few years, considering that recently in, in the squad and, and, and not just the recent friendlies, but previous to that, you know, only one, if not none of the players have played abroad in other systems and in other leagues. Um, I mean, I think it, it, it's probably, it's probably good and bad, but then you could also argue that, I mean, surely during those generations when England claimed to have the best managers and the best systems in Europe, uh, because they have Mourinho, Benitez, Ferguson, Wenger. I put Benitez ahead of Ferguson. Uh, but you, you know what I mean. They had continental yeah. managers. You know, there's very little argument as to why going abroad now is... Um, um, no, maybe that's not true, because an education really makes a huge difference. Um, I mean, I was interested to find out that Stoke City have a um, an academy, and I mean like a permanent fixture of an academy, in Shanghai Manchester United wow. don't Man City don't but wow. Stoke City do Chris do you have uh, do you have thoughts on the uh, on the lack of uh, diversity I think the lack of diversity is an argument presented when it suits a narrative so in 2006 Italy's squad had next to no diversity in, in relation to all of their players were, were based within Serie A you look at Spain's dominance, very few, I think if any of the starters at least, were based outside of Spain. I know a few of the, the depth players were. But but I if I can just touch to the Spain thing, I think the, the there's like an asterisk next to that in the sense that Spain went with a unconventional approach to turn to that tournament of football because they 
sought to to play that possession football that required that almost requires player players to consistently play together to understand where they're going to be on the pitch and have that fluidity and chemistry that was so consistent with the Spanish national team. But I, I understand what you're saying. I, I I think as well, and I've been just reading up on this, so it's fairly timely. Marcello Lippi said of the squad that he took in 2006 that he didn't think it was the best 23 players in Italy. He thought it was the best team to win the competition. Right. And I think if you're looking for uh, an explainer, and again, there is no one issue with England, as, as there isn't with Holland or Belgium or whatever, you could form a very good case that England has rarely, if ever, picked on form relative to the squad. There's been too much favoritism and look you could ex- extrapolate that and apply it to the US as well I think one of the reasons that they performed so well against Honduras was the fact there was no more favoritism everyone for the most part had to earn their place back in the squad and and Bruce Arena was willing to give players he's called Paul Ariola in this week after a few injuries he's willing to give fresh faces a chance and the thing is is that when it comes to to, you know, the, the footballing culture and, and a lack of diversity there. I would like to see more English players play abroad because I think yes, it it, it does improve them and it, it will in, improve their I think understanding of the game more than anything. Um, but I think you you don't have to uh, do that to win a tournament. I think you can can look at it from a slightly different vantage point and say it would improve the quality of of British coaches definitely and it may even improve the quality of future generations because you would learn things while you were a player that you may apply into your coaching but as it stands right now I think as long as you don't pick the the best squad stroke team for the tournament you're always doing yourself a greater disservice than than you are just by staying at home Go ahead Nico you can reply to that I completely agree with a, a lot of what Chris is saying. So I, I don't have uh, I don't have much to say outside of that. But I think um, one thing that that I fail to hear when I hear the analysis of tournaments and when people speak of tournaments uh, tournaments in general is this idea of what people or what a team needs to win a tournament. And I think that isn't addressed enough. And I think we take the, 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 the very small sample size that we get of, of national team performances, which is realistically qualifiers and tournaments as the end all be all of, of, of those players performances at the national team. When there's so much luck since there, it is such a small sample size in winning a tournament. And so that's really the only thing I would, I would add to that. Mm, yeah, good point. Now, Chris, uh, over in the States, there have been some big games and you had the luck of attending one of the biggest. Uh, I was at New York Red Bulls against Real Salt Lake. Oh, um, sorry, I was talking about Hashtag United. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, yes. Um, no, did set we'll talk well about that in a minute, but it was a, it was a seamless transition. Um, that was good. Uh, no, yes, I did attend that on... Uh, side of morning over in Hoboken, New Jersey. Uh, keep going. Go on. I mean, you can't. Give us <laughs> I the, don't you think can't, I'm allowed to say anymore. Am I? You can't I'll, give us the result. You can, of- you can tell us. You can tell us. Um, uh, well, there's very little you can tell. I mean, uh, you saw what you saw. It was Jimmy's a good game. Balls, right? It was a well contested game. I think, from a hashtag perspective, it was a very good challenge because there were some notable names in there, 
at least from an American perspective. Stephen Keel, who played in Major League Soccer, Aleko Eskandarian, obviously Jimmy himself, um, James Riley, a, a much lesser known MLS player, dropped in. And and there was a few on on Jimmy's team, I think, that you could tell had some sort of professional background. Maybe didn't make it to, to senior teams, but at least had played uh, in the game in, in some decent standards. So for, from that end, I think it was possibly the toughest test that, that Hashtag have maybe had. And I'm sure uh, Spencer and, and those will speak better to that. But I thought, you know what, I thought they showed themselves well for, for a team that has has travelled the States, has had to to maybe adjust to, to differing situations, different climates. I thought they handled that well. Um, and I can also see from uh, their perspective why they've won so many games, because they are very communicative, they're very well organised actually and, and they do seek to help each other out and, and are very much a team that there's very little individualism in that side and I think that's very admirable mm. yeah um, we'll find out in a few weeks time what, what happened there uh, now Chris MLS update yes um, as I alluded to there before I was at Red Bull Arena um, quite literally after I, I finished watching um, Hashtag and uh, there was a Liverpool youngster on show, Brooks Lennon, um, who was on loan from, from Liverpool to, to Real Salt Lake, the team that he started at. And then also I thought Tyler Adams for, for New York Red Bulls. For me, it, look, it wasn't the greatest game. It finished 0-0. There were some, some poorly missed chances. Um, but I thought Adams equipped himself very well, had the most touches, best pass completion. And for someone who's only 18... I think you're looking at a player that that has not only a lot of potential, but I would go as far to say if he keeps improving the way that um, I've seen him so far, will likely play in Europe at some stage in his career. Interesting stuff. Uh, Miko, have you been watching any MLS over the last few days? Um, unfortunately, I have not. I, uh, no, I was away. What the hell? I was at the beach. Uh, <laughs> what was the beach if like? You- Beach is good. Uh, Florida, where I live, has got some. Got some. We have a wealth of beaches uh, with a lot of sharks too. But got some good beaches. You have, you have sharks. Yeah, uh, New Smyrna, which is the beach that I frequent, is the shark attack or was the shark attack capital of the world. Still up there in the ranking. So, uh, gentlemen, on on that, I'm going to have to depart. Fair enough, uh, Chris. Thanks a lot for joining us. If people want to go find you, they can go to K Henage K H E N E A G E. Correct. That is correct. Good. Uh, Chris, thanks a lot for joining us. I'll Thank see you, Chris. Chris, great guy there. Uh, Nico, finish off with me here. Um, let's go to a bit of domestic football. Uh, in between, right. uh, however, what I have just seen on uh, Skype is uh, Gareth Southgate saying he wanted Wilfred Zaha, but he was too late. He was too late in what sense? Well, I mean, he now, uh, Zaha he now chooses... plays now for Cote d'Ivoire, right? Uh, yeah. Coast. Yeah, which is a fantastic African team, which uh, I think uh, all better to him because African teams, uh, you know, he, he can be part of the the transition to that next golden generation. You know, they're leaving the likes of Didier Drogba and Yaya Toure and, and Kolo Toure and some of those players. So Zaha could possibly lead the the next evolution of, of the Ivory Coast and the talented players that they produce. So um, I think Zaha is one of those players that I was recently listening to a story that because Zaha did play in the um, in the youth, the, the England youth setup and. I, I heard that him and Raheem Sterling would go back and forth in practice and see how many pl- how many defenders they could just absolutely skin 
uh, in practice. So definitely a talented player and maybe yeah. one that Southgate saw usage in. What's going on with uh, Roma? You've got a little update on Roma for us. Yeah, Monchi, which is the transfer director for Sevilla, um, is is reportedly, allegedly moving to, to Roma, uh, which is a fantastic move because he obviously made a... He made uh, you know a, a lot with a little for for Sevilla in a few years there, and I think they they thrived as much as they could in sort of being the the exterior team in Spain in, in terms of not being a Real Madrid or Barcelona. And I think the move to Roma, which has historically been a big club, but perhaps not in recent years, not achieved the success that uh, its its history has um, has you know provided the standard it's, for. It's then. history or its city or, or its geography, yeah. Right. So. so it's, provided the standard for you know someone like Monchi moving over there is a is an excellent move for that club and I think um I think they can do some fast fantastic things with with him at the helm because I think that's really where you see uh where you see football clubs either excel or you know dig themselves into a into a deep deep hole I was I was looking at some information and data today regarding you know I wanted to see the consistencies between some of the best European teams and how many players and how long they keep them and it's it's no surprise to find out that the majority of of the top European te- top European teams like Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, Barcelona have a core of players that have been there for five years or more, and teams that you know have a little bit of wayward success here and there don't have you know consistency within their squads and consistency within their top players. So hopefully, if if Roma can achieve that uh, to some extent, then they'll be back amongst uh, the European the European elite. I mean, surely it's not just about having a player at a club for five years. No, no, no. It's not about having one player at a club. It's a, it's about having a core of players and not really turning over the whole squad every time you bring in a different manager. And I think that's where some English clubs tend to tend to falter is that they don't have a, a director of football or a sporting director to to manage the, the or mitigate the risk when you bring in a, a a coach with a completely different ideology. That's a very good point, actually. Yeah, because you you can go on these three year cycles, but if you don't have any consistency throughout those cycles or a plan for the way those cycles will function then maybe you are in trouble. Yeah, definitely. Well, Nico, uh, where can people go find your uh, shit? My shit? Yeah. Uh, my toilet. Um, but um, if how, you want to find my work... How, how, <laughs> uh, how safe is your shit? How safe is it? Yeah. I, it's pretty. I mean, it looks it looks to be a good color. It doesn't float, so it's a, it's a, wow. it's a good fat, fat content. Okay, yeah. So, yeah. Is, oh, is, yeah. That, is that a factor? I think yeah. If your your shit your shit is not supposed to float, it's supposed to sink. Because if it floats, then you have too high of a fat content in your diet. Wow, I didn't no. know that, but now I do. You didn't know? Uh, does your uh, shit does your shit float? Um, I'll be completely honest. I don't actually look. You don't look? No. You go to the bathroom and you flush and you don't look. Yeah. That's absurd. Um. You're- you're a madman. Let us know. Is it absurd? Is it absurd not to <laughs> not to take the satisfaction? I mean, I get what the satisfaction is of looking. No, at it's what not you a satisfaction produced. thing. It's no, a, I understand it's a your thing. your fetish completely, but um, <laughs> yeah, the the point is it's a health thing. Is it? Yeah, because I mean, you want to you got to make sure it's a good color. You know, all this all these factors. Interesting. I didn't realize. Uh, maybe I, maybe I just have other things uh, on my mind, but maybe from now on I will. I will look. Um, yeah. Have hey, a look. What we want you to know is uh, on tier three, we want all of you to maintain a healthy anus. <laughs> uh, yeah. In many ways, this is where the hashtag 
I am the whole uh, becomes so relevant. That was its true meaning. I yes. mean, I think you guys have 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 gone off the have gone off the rails a little bit since then. But I think the true original meaning of "I am the whole" is within the anus. Yeah, and then obviously TF three, the front three, meaning the front mm-hmm. three wipes, because you're only supposed to wipe your backside three times after you've gone to the toilet. Right. Pretty much. Yeah. No, no. Again, Nico, if you're, if you're health obsessed and you're, if you're relying on your shit to tell you if you're healthy or not, um, then you'll know it's three wipes. Yeah, completely agree. Well, this took a, this took a weird <laughs> turn, um, but it, I feel like it ended strong. Uh, <laughs> hey, listen, we, we, we didn't start out so good, but we ended strong. I think that's what's important you to know the people. What? Sometimes good shit is like that, I'm told. Um <laughs> Anyway, uh, we will come... The, the the problem... Yeah, maybe that's why we're so low down in the uh, iTunes charts. We don't have enough fat content in the uh, podcast. We're not floating. Yeah, so. basically, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, it's been great to have you, Nico. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you very much. If people want to find my work, they can go over to at Lostcast, L-O-Z-C-A-S-T. Uh, good. And if you want to find my work, you can head over to Nico Morales. I don't really know... Uh, I don't know what your at is because I don't. It's, spell it. it's Nico. It's Nico N I C O underscore O Morales on Twitter. You know, there's not a day goes by where if I need to at you, I will have to go and uh, go on the search function and find where you are. You never at me. You're never on Twitter. Uh, maybe I'm not looking for your app for that reason. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, it's been good to have you guys. Uh, let us know on iTunes what you think of the podcast. If you've not already reviewed it, please do head over there and do that. Head over to YouTube and uh, drop it a subscribe because there is lots of good stuff on there and lots more good stuff to come out. Um, go follow Statman Day for his daily podcast. It's fantastic daily stats podcast, uh, stats based podcast. Um, he can, you know, it would be weird if he just did numbers. Uh, and we will see you again real soon right here on TF3. 